today's scripture portion is being taken from root chapter 1 i'll be reading the full chapter from niv version naomi loses her husband and sons in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land so a man from bethlehem in juda together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of moab the man's name was elimelech his wife's name was naomi and the names of his two sons were mahlon and kilion they were ephratites from bethlehem juda and they went to moab and lived there now elimelech naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons they married moabite women one named alpha and the other ruth after they had lived there for 10 years both mahlon and kilion also died and naomi was left without her two sons and her husband when naomi heard in moab that the lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them she and her daughters in law prepared to return home from there with her two daughters in law she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of juda now naomi said to her two daughters in law go back each of you to your mother's home may the lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me may the lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her we will go back with you to your people but naomi said return home my daughters why would you come with me am i going to have any more sons who could become your husbands return home my daughters i am too old to have another husband even if i thought that there was still hope for me even if i had a husband tonight and then give birth to two sons would you wait until they grew up would you remain unmarried for them no my daughters it is more bitter for me than for you because the lord's hand has turned against me at this they wept aloud again then alpha kissed her mother in law goodbye but ruth clung to her look said naomi your sister in law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her but ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go i will go and where you stay i will stay your people will be my people and your god my god where you die i will die and there i will be buried may the lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me when naomi realized that ruth was determined to go with her she stopped urging her so the two women went on until they came to bethlehem when they arrived in bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed can this be naomi don't call me naomi she told them call me mara because the almighty has made my life very bitter i went away full but the lord has brought me back empty why call me naomi the lord has afflicted me the almighty has brought misfortune upon me so naomi returned with from moab accompanied by ruth the moabite a daughter in law arriving in bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning thank you shalem for reading that uh, long passage very beautifully I want to thank uh, Devanshu also for leading the service thus far and setting the tone for uh, the sermon today. And as, we, as has been announced, we are going through, uh, starting today, uh, a series on the book of Ruth. 
Now, this book of Ruth, as many of us would be familiar, has been looked at as a kind of a love story between Ruth and Boaz, or a story of love, loyalty, and relationships, or even God's faithfulness uh, despite human failures. You know, it is also looked upon as how God extends grace to the Gentiles and then ultimately redeeming us through the person of Christ. All this is true. And um, we can see a lot of things that, you know, can emerge out of this small book. You know, this tiny book of four small chapters captivates us to, to the point that, you know, there can be lots of things to actually draw from. Written about 3,000 years uh, before us, this is, this is a beautiful story, not just telling us about human relationships, but also how we can actually draw wonderful lessons from this book about how we should live in our world today. You'll, you'll find lots of resemblances of our world today in this context. And sometimes we can easily ignore that, you know, this is an ancient book, ancient piece of literature. You know, just uh, coincidentally, a few weeks back, I was asked by a professor, you know, uh, why, what is the, you know, what can you learn from a book like Job? At that point of time, I just completed teaching Job, the book of Job, to the students of literature as part of the ancient literature uh, course. And I told him that, you know, the, these perennial problems of pain, suffering are a human quest. And these are things which people continue to question since the time of Job and the time of Ruth and also in our times. We find this kind of relevance even in our world today as we look through. So today I've, uh, you know, just titled my sermon as um, On the Crossroads of Life. And uh, the, 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 the uh, outline is also clearly given to you and you'll be able to see it uh, as we move along. Um, so let me pray as we move on. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for this opportunity that you've granted us. And as we look through this chapter one of the book of Ruth, we pray that you'll enable us to find um, meaning, find lessons for us to draw and live a life which is worthy of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start with two related questions, um, which as I said, are related, and yet these are important questions which people continue to ask. The first question is, how do afflictions and misfortunes impact your view of God? How do afflictions and misfortunes impact your view of God? And a second related to that is, in what ways do difficult circumstances affect your attitudes, your family relationships, and even your decisions of life? I think as human beings, <clears throat> we cannot deny the fact that the afflictions, misfortunes, pain, sufferings, and difficult circumstances affect us all. It affects us. It certainly does. But the question is, how do such things affect us? In what ways do they affect us? I think the, the question is about the degrees or the magnitude of how it affects us not about whether it affects us or not. It affects us in some way or the other. But how much, to what point, to what magnitude does these things affect us? 
And in times of critical spiritual crisis, how do we keep our faith in God? And those are the things which we will explore as we move along in this small book. And uh, you would have also seen that uh, the outline today is given is <clears throat> that we shall look at the first five verses as when tragedy strikes. And the rest of the verses from uh, 12 to uh, 6 to 22, we'll, we'll look at as when life demands choices, when tragedy strikes, and when life demands choices. So please keep your Bibles open to the portion that has been read to us, Ruth chapter 1. Now, if you look at the first statement of, of, of verse 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled the land, this is a very interesting statement about how, where the, the book of Ruth is set. This gives us the historical time of when the story of the Ruth, the book of Ruth is set. Now in the, the time period, as we look at history, is that this happened sometime, you know, 1,300 or 400 before. And about the, the period of the judges was, uh, you know, the times after, uh, the time of Joshua after the after Joshua died and before the first king of Israel. This was a time period of 300 to 400 years. And this is also referred to as the dark period of Israel history. Now, if you want to understand what was the period of Judges like, you just have to go back one page before the book of Ruth and read the last line of Judges. The last verse of the book of Judges read this place. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's the summary of the book of Judges. Israel had no king and everybody did what was fit in their own eyes. And this was a recurrent statement which we find in the book of Judges. We find this in chapter 17, 18, 19, and now in 21. That's how the book of Judges concluded. This was actually, you know, scary to actually imagine. Everybody doing what is fit in their own eyes. This was a time period of lawlessness. It was a time of violence. Now, just to give you a quick summary of the Book of Judges, the Book of Judges has a cycle of narrative. And the cycle is this, that Israel disobeyed, fall into idolatry. They were subjugated by the Canaanites or outside forces. And they would cry to God, and God, God would send a judge to rescue them. And there would be a period of peace, for a short period of peace. But again, that short, peace, short period of peace would be succeeded by Israel disobedience and also falling into idolatry. So the cycle continues, that there are judges raised at a certain point of time, and they would cry to God, God would rescue them, but they would become disobedient again. <clears throat> that cycle continued the book of Judges. But at the same time, you know, this was a period, time period, which was very bleak. You know, and also at the same time, I think you can also find some uncanny resemblance in our world today. You know, even in our world today, the powerful had, you know, had the wish to do whatever they want. Justice is often far from sight. There are lots of people who are subjugated to these things. Violence is increasing in our world. But for that point of time, when we look at this period of the judges, this was really bad time for people who are poor, 
the women, and those who are actually vulnerable. So the, the writer of the book of Ruth picks out a time when these things were happening, sets a tone for it. But to make matters worse, we see that, you know, things were not stable. On top of that, there was a famine which is happening. Read in the second part of verse one. So this family of four, Elimelech, Naomi, and the two sons, decided to go and find refuge in a neighboring country. So this neighboring country is the country of Moab. And of course, some Bibles will have this picture, but to help us visualize, they started from the town of Bethlehem, where they were from, and moved all the way across the Dead Sea, taking the long route, walking across and going to Moab. Moab is actually across the, 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 the Bethlehem, Judah. But Moab, again, is a foreign country. <clears throat> it is not part of uh, Israel. So unfortunately, for this family of four, things turn from bad to worse. And in the first five verses itself, we are told about how things, in 10 years' time, Naomi has not just left, I mean, uh, you know, um, not just uh, lost her husband, but also her two sons. And in the first five verses, we are told about how much of a life that Naomi had to in, you know, uh, endure. Now, before we go into quickly judging the family uh, for all the misfortunes, sometimes we are tempted to see when all these things are narrated to us, we are tempted to see if God was judging them, punishing them for their sins. But the Bible is silent on those. We shouldn't be too quick to judge if the family was. You know, in fact, if we were in their situation, we might also have done the same thing. We might have also just, you know, gone to another place if there is a famine, which is a logical, reasonable thing to do. And most likely, this family was also a God-fearing family. Because the name Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi means sweet or pleasant. And there is hints of this, these things that we look at it. They may not actually be the only family that have moved away from a famine-struck land in Bethlehem. Ironically, Bethlehem means the house of bread. Now, the house of bread has run out of bread. And they are out somewhere else seeking food. And I think many of us, if they were, we were in their situation, would have done the same thing. In fact, many of us, those of us living in Delhi, are doing the same thing. We have come here to the city for economic gains, seeking perhaps greener pastures. At the same time, there is also a hint in this passage that something might have gone wrong. There could be a problem. Now look at verse, first, uh, second part of verse 1. He said, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They went to live for a while. And some translations like the RSV and K King James Version also says that they went to sojourn in the land of Moab. Now to sojourn is to actually seek temporal stay. It's just a temporary stay that they have gone. But what was meant to be a temporary stay, what was meant to be a stay for a while turned out to be more than 10 years. And I think that is the problem here. They overstayed. They overstayed in the place where God actually took them, perhaps. What was the result? 
the result is that the two sons also married Moabite women. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, as we would come to know their name. But of course, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, the, the, the law, the Old Testament law did not directly forbid Israelites, women, Israelites uh, from women, uh, marrying Moabite women because they were living outside the promised land. The law was specifically against Israelites marrying Canaanites because the Canaanites were part of the uh, promised land, which you find in Deuteronomy chapter, 10, uh, chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7. However, Moabites were also not allowed to worship in a tabernacle because they did not allow Israelites to pass through the land during the Exodus from Egypt, if you remember the narrative in the Exodus. But the principle of not marrying an outsider is strongly entrenched in the book of law in the Old Testament. And also, the Israelites despised the Moabites and the Ammonites because they were the descendants of the daughters of Lot, the daughters of Lot who committed incest with their father. Remember after the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, we read about this. But the point here is that, that, that you know, this family overstayed in the land where they were supposed to just live for a while. And I think the principle for us here, the spiritual principle for us too, that even in our spiritual life, sometimes, you know, God may avail us or provide a respite for us for a short time, leading us out of trouble for a temporary period. But sometimes when we end up indulging in the provisions that may have been given to us, we lose sight of God. It is quite possible that the family of four, Elimelech and Naomi's family, begin to enjoy the culture, the generosity of the outsiders here, the Moabites. And to forgot that they are meant to be there just for a while and go back to the land, the promised land. Perhaps they even got so consumed into the cultures of that time that they forget, forgot about where God has placed them. And so what happened, what is fine here is that God had to intervene, even though it was in a point of a tragedy. Naomi had to be rudely awoken out of this spiritual slumber that we find. And so even in our world today, uh, as we look through, sometimes God has to intervene in our life and uh, wake us up from a spiritual slumber. Sometimes it takes some form of tragedies in life to wake us from spiritual slumber. Now the question is, how do you react when you are faced with spiritual critical situations in your life? How do you react when you face critical situations in your life? In the next section, we're gonna see how these three women responded to this critical juncture of their life. When we go back, go into the second section, which is from verses six onwards, we see these three women closely following the mother-in-law. You know, here is an older woman, Naomi, leading the two younger women, her daughters-in-law. So after what we see in the first five verses, telling about the tragedies that happened in the life of the family of Elimelech and Naomi. And Naomi is now left with Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law. And they were on the, out on the road to set out for Bethlehem. Now, I showed you the map. It was a very long way for them to go. 
But it is in this, you know, in verse 7, we read this. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, midway through the journey, something struck Naomi. She must have thought, what am I doing? Where am I taking my daughters-in-law? They have a better position to be remarried here in the land where they belong. What are the chances of them? taken to the land where they don't know where people. What are the chances of them getting remarried? So some sense kicked in, Naomi. And so it is on this open road, a road that was leading them back to Jerusalem in the open countryside. And the conversation that happened between these three women is what is going to be the focus of this, this sermon that I want to look at. This is where they were on the crossroads of life. They were literally on the open side, open countryside, headed back to a road that may not take them successfully back to the land. But the uncertainty of the future that lies ahead of them really gripped Naomi particularly. But at the same time, you'll find that these three women were faced with the same plight the plight of an uncertain future. What lies ahead of them? And in the ancient world, you'd find that, <clears throat> you'll find historical books telling us that the worst fears for women in the ancient world is to be left a widow without any son or daughter, without any children. They were very vulnerable. They were often taken, taken advantage of. They were often ignored. And they were left to starve. Poverty was a recurrent scene that you'd find. This is the condition of what these three women were facing. They were facing, facing a, a, an uncertain future where they are not sure where they are going. But again, 3,000 years after this story, we see no difference in our world today. Widows are often the most neglected. Widows are the ones who are most ignored in the society. And that's where I think it is for us as a church to think through. So as we look at these three women and stared into the future, the road ahead of them, they were literally looking at the uncertain future. And at the same time, symbolically, I would like to see it today, spiritually, they were battling hopelessness of their existential reality. What is the future for them? There is no answer to this. And they have been through great tragedies between them. They have faced the same uncertain future at the moment. And yet, in, very interestingly, these three women responded very differently, each on their own terms. Let's look at first Naomi's response. You see, if you look at the narrative, that tells us, especially verse eight and nine, you know, Naomi seems very spiritually matured, matured. She actually stopped by and tried to persuade the daughters-in-law to go back to the land, to the mother's house and get remarried. That is what the future is. She was genuinely concerned about the well-being of the daughters-in-law. She was not selfish enough to actually take them and say, you know, you come and serve me, no. 
He was telling them to go back to their homes, get, get married again and have children. She was blessing them as at the point of departure. She was being very reasonable here, if you look at it. And it is actually twice that she actually tried to persuade them on that open road. If you look at it, Naomi is also theologically sound. You know, you know often uh, she understands God rightly. If you look at verses eight and nine, in fact, you know, the, the deep theology is also reflected in the way she blessed the two daughters-in-law. She said, may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to, to the dead and me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the home of another husband. That's a blessing that this old mother-in-law was giving. And if you look at the, 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 the literal translation, she was using the word kesed. Because the loving kindness, the covenant kindness, the great love. He said, may God's great love, may God's great kindness go with you. Now, this is the blessing that has been blessed by Naomi. And yet, you know, despite knowing God as being the one who actually greatly loved them, somehow in this great time of crisis, Naomi failed to see the sovereignty of God in the suffering. In fact, you know, in this this chapter, you'll find that Naomi constantly complaining, very bitter against God. In verse 13 itself, he said, the Lord hand has gone out against me. In verse 21, three times he said, the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought me his fortunes. This is something which is really deeply ingrained in the, in the minds of Naomi. Neo, but again, you know, just like Naomi, sometimes even Christians um, you know, as Christians, we can also be theologically correct. But when it comes to practice, we terribly fail. You know, our theology sometimes break apart when tragedies hit us. We question, why is this happening to us? Why suffering? Why pain? Why am I allowed to go through this? But what happened in this phase of Naomi's life is that she was so bitter that, that this bitterness has distorted the perspective of our God. And sometimes this is also true of us. Bitterness blinds people to God's work in our life. Bitterness can blind people of how God is working in our life. And that's something which really strongly comes up. Sometimes bitterness in our spiritual life can rope us of the joy of even salvation. The joy of salvation that is supposed to you know, engulf us guide us. And often bitterness can also threaten our own lives. That's a danger which we actually are facing. So the question is, how does personal loss or affliction impact the view of God? And that's the question which I started out. But before you move on to say and, you know, find identification with Naomi, just hold on because Naomi also would change her perspective as the book moves on which we are not going to cover in this sermon today. But let's quickly look at Orpah. Orpah's, you know, Orpah was one woman who was also like Ruth. She was emotionally attached to, uh, you know, to the mother-in-law. Both of them were emotionally attached. You see, both of them wanted to go back with Naomi. And yet Orpah somehow decided to listen to reason. In fact, of course, she was heeding the advice of her mother-in-law when she decided to go back, kiss her and go back. But 
what happened here as we look at Naomi, uh, sorry, Orpa, is that she decided to choose something which is tangible. She decided to see something which is self-seeking, self-serving. You know, when the mother-in-law told her, you have better prospect of, uh, you know, of, of marriage in your own home time, she decided to go back. In, in Orpa's life, we see the spiritual departure. And I'm sure we can also see that Orpa certainly knew about the God of Israel, just like Ruth understood in the life, through the life of uh, Naomi. But she, she decided to turn away from the Lord, the God of Israel, and go back to her gods and her mothers and her people. So we find a departure here that in times of spiritual crisis, she decided to move back. You know, how wonderful it would have been if Orpah would wear to follow, just like Ruth. Maybe she would become one of the great descendants which we see. But sometimes it's easy to say, oh, Orpah did this. Sometimes we also end up choosing the easy way. Sometimes we can also be, um, you know, going the way which Orpah went. Now, sometimes it is quite unreasonable to hold on to God. It seems quite unreasonable to hold on to God when, uh, you know, we don't understand what is the future for us. But in those situations, God expects us to see through the blurry picture and, uh, you know, hold on to our faith as we go on. The question I think for us to, uh, you know, uh, uh, ponder upon is how are we grappling with all these difficult situations? Thirdly, let's look at Ruth's response. As mentioned earlier, we both see that Orpah and Ruth were attached to Naomi. But Ruth's attachment was demonstrated much more when she expresses her selflessness in verses 16 and 17. This is the statement where she made that I will go with you no matter what the situation is. Your God will be my God and you know I will go with you wherever it is. And verse 14 clearly tells us that she clung onto her, clung onto Naomi, and trans some translation read it as she cleft unto her. Now, to cling on is like just like any children who would be attached to their parents, you know, when they said, okay, mama and papa, don't let me go. To cleave, again, is a word which is similar to what uh, Genesis would have been using it as the husband and wife would cleave to each other. So there is a sense of loyalty and determination in the, in the, in the voice of Ruth. Often, of course, uh, the statements of Ruth in verses 16 and 17 is also out taken in isolation to actually use in marriages. And I think sometimes it is wrongly used out of context. But that's not the point of a sermon here. You know, we can go and digress into it. But what I want to point out is that it showed a deep impression that Naomi has left in the life of Ruth. Naomi's life has already had an impact in Ruth that she was able to understand God correctly. And I think the question for us, for older men and women, is that are we able to live this kind of a life just like Naomi lived for Ruth? Secondly, Ruth's devotion to Naomi is reflected in a desire to actually care and serve Naomi. There is a deep sense of loyalty here. Thirdly, Ruth recognized the true God, and this is the trust, uh, this is the crux of the matter. She was able to recognize that the God of Israel is a true God. She is willing to give up the brighter prospect of staying back, getting remarried, having children. She decided to go, even though it meant going into the unknown. 
You see, this is an amazing step of faith. This is not just a leap into darkness. This is actually a leap of faith because there is a sense of deep conviction that we see in the life of Ruth. So in Ruth, we see uh, a spiritually matured person in dealing with spiritual crisis. Why I say that is because they were in somehow in the crossroads of their spiritual life. They were in a defining moments of their life. Now, the question I think is, would you find yourself being like Ruth or like Naomi or like Orpah when you're faced with different kinds of situations? Now, when we read through from verse 18 onwards, Naomi did not persuade her daughter enough further. And the two women decided to go back to Bethlehem. And this is something which really interests me, that in verses 20 and 21, Naomi was greeted. And people were wondering, oh, this is Naomi. But she responded by saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Naomi, as I mentioned earlier, is pleasant. I'm no longer sweet. I'm no longer pleasant. Call me bitter. My life is full of bitter. The Lord has emptied me. The Lord has done this to me. But again, what Naomi did not realize was that God has afflicted her and also emptied her so that he could bless her and feel her much more. I can imagine Naomi still grieving the loss of the family members, the dead that has been still so deeply wounded in her spiritual life. Perhaps she was waiting for death to swallow her up anytime. The tone of her speech is so filled with bitterness. But at the same time, I'm not undermining Naomi's pain. When I say that, you know, she's failed to see the resourcefulness of uh, Ruth, that Ruth was going to be uh, by her side. So quickly, I think uh, what we can see from here is that when we go through difficult situations, you know, sometimes God decides to afflict us or empties us so that we could be blessed and we could be filled. And that's the thing which we need to actually remember, that bitterness, as we see in the life of Naomi, blinds people of God's work in their life. And this is something, the danger of what we need to actually be careful of. But this chapter ends with a very beautiful statement in verse 22. This is what we read. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem in the barley harvest was beginning. The harvest time is a very beautiful scene. You'll actually agree with me here. And harvest time is also a period or a time of hope. This verse gives us a clue that there are lots more to follow in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And I think the bigger picture as we will move on uh, as to study about the book of Ruth is that he would not only become a, a person to reckon with, he would not, she would not only become a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but her story gives us a picture that salvation was God's plan originally from the beginning to be given to all the people of the world. Salvation was not just for the Jews, but including Moabite woman here gives us the picture that God has a plan, a greater plan for us. So quickly, before I end, let me just take you back to the two questions that I started out with. How do afflictions and misfortunes impact your view of God? 
In what ways do difficult circumstances affect your attitude, family relationships, and even your decisions of life? I hope reading through this chapter helps us to look at this and respond appropriately. You know, there are some important life lessons. You know, we are, you know, as, as we see from here, we are to be careful not to be bitter all the time, even though there have been misfortunes in our life, because bitterness, you know, stops us from seeing God's work in our life. And at the same time, we should also be careful not to just choose the temporal and yet logical opportunities that come to us. We are to persevere. We are also called to take the step of faith, the leap of faith, as we see in the life of Ruth. Whatever may be the situation in our life at this point of time, I want you to see that God has great things for us to see. Sometimes God decides to empty us so that he can fill us much more with greater things in our life. Would you allow God to empty you at this time? Would you allow God to fill you with much more blessings? Sometimes you may not understand what is going on in your life. But if you trust in God, God will help us take us into the right direction. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we commit this time unto you and want to thank you for the lessons that we draw from Ruth chapter 1. We pray that you'll enable us to reflect upon this for the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.